When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away, and will bring you back safely. She was stunning. Taller than any man I'd ever seen, her skin a polished bronze and her eyes a deep brown. Her hair was twisted up and around her head, held into place with a single wooden pin. The simple woven clothes, draped elegantly across her, smelled of wood smoke and sweat. I knew this because she was towering over me, and I had my head tipped back to look up at her. She had appeared out of the woods after a pure white stag had crossed my paths moments before. It had stopped when it saw me, pale and trembling, and then dashed off into the woods. I understood why it was trembling as she looked at me, a bow in her hands and arrows on her person. She whispered sweetly in my ear, Which way did he go? The first teller is Shauna Lee, a word weaver, educator, and tradition bearer of thousands of stories. Hearing her tell in person, stories weave in and out, grow and contract and a kind of magic that few have had the fortune to experience. For listeners in or near England, be sure to check her calendar for dates that you can see her live. You hear the magic in the stories she's recorded, and certainly in this one, How to Move a Mountain. I want to climb mountains. <sighs> How can I climb mountains when I can't even get a job and feed my family? What sort of a man am I? And the second man smiled, he said, let me tell you a story. I can't quite get the names. Didn't understand that much, but let me tell you. Let's say it happened here in Yule Harbour. And let's say it happened to Tom and Mary. There was once a couple, Tom and Mary had the perfect house. Everything they wanted, soft furnishings, perfect There was only one thing wrong, and that was a mountain, so tall, so high. It blotted out the sun, and it could never grow anything in the garden. So high that the rains would come, the boulders would smash through the thatch of the roof, and the rains would soak those beautiful carpets. But Mary was not the sort of woman that was going to move. She never lost an argument. She was that sort of woman. The mountain was going to have to move. And so she sent her husband to the priest to ask how to move a mountain. The priest scratched his head and then remembered who Mary was and said, well, I suppose we better try, hadn't we? (laughs) You could try pushing it away. And so Tom went back and got the longest, strongest, tallest tree he could find, cut it down, put one end against the mountain, pushed and pushed and pushed, and do you think the mountain moved? No. No, of course it didn't. You're cynical, but you're right. (laughs) And Mary, she said, you never listen. Honestly, just go back and ask. He said, yes, love of my life, treasure of my heart, I will. And off he went. Didn't work. Well, 
Said the priest, maybe it's a sort of mountain you need to scare away. And so take the noisiest things and shout at it. And so he told Mary and she agreed. And the next morning there they were with the pots and the pans and everything that would make a noise. This is your bit, by the way. And after three, they shouted, move in a loud voice. One, two, three, move! Please, because they've been very well brought up. Do you think the mountain moved? No, of course it didn't. She went, you never listen. You think you've heard, but you just blot it out. (laughs) Go and ask again. And so he asked a third time, and he said, well, said the priest, maybe it's a sort of mountain you need to do something nice. Ask it politely. What does Mary do when she wants to do something really nice for you? And he thought, (laughs) I can't tell the priest that. (laughs) Oh, no. And so he thought of his second best thing. She makes me cakes and biscuits. (laughs) So, again... Went and then she baked and baked and baked. And they took those cakes, those incredibly heavy cakes, up to the top of the mountain. And do you think the mountain moved? They asked, they begged, they pleaded, but all that happened was a great wind blew. Well, it had to be a great wind to blow those cakes off of the train into the harbour, and the people would dodge and look up and go, whoa, raining bread and cakes (laughs) again. Love of my life, treasure of my heart, I will go back. And you know, for the first time she was silent because he'd done it without asking. And off he went and the priest said, you know what? Maybe you have to make a fool of yourself. Are you prepared to make a fool of yourself, Tom? And Tom said, it's my hobby. Well, this is what you must do. He taught Tom a dance, and then he said, you must take the thatch of your roof, the sticks of your house, the things of your heart and your home, put them on your shoulders, your back, and carry them. And you must close your eyes, you must face the mountain as the sun rises, and you must dance that mountain away. You prepared to do that? And Tom said, yes. He went home and he told Mary, and soon there they were as the sun rose. They must dance till the sun set. And they took the thatch of the roof of the house upon their backs, the sticks of the walls of the house upon their backs, the heart and the home and the things upon their shoulders. And they closed their eyes, and this was the dance that they did. They put their left foot behind where their right foot should be, their right foot behind where their left foot should be, and their left foot behind where their right foot should be, and so on and so on and so on. They put their left foot behind where their right foot should be and their right foot behind where their left foot should be and their right foot behind where their right foot should be and so on and so on and so on. They put their left foot behind where their right foot should be and their right foot behind where their left foot should be and their left foot behind where their right foot should be and so on and so on and so on. They put their left foot behind where their right foot should be and their right foot behind where their left foot should be and their left foot behind where their right foot should be and so on and so on and so on. And they danced and they danced. People said, why aren't Tom and Mary walking backwards through the village? They said, they're incomers, they do that sort of thing. (laughs) And when they felt the dying rays of the sun on their face, they stopped, they opened their eyes And they were in a field not dissimilar from the one they'd left, and Mary, bless her, geography had never been a strong point. It's moved! She said, that 
mountain has moved to the other side of town and told me if he knew the truth was never going to tell her. <laughs> I tell you, they built their house that night. The sticks and the thatch and the things of the heart. And now, because the mountain had moved, they had sun in the garden and they grew fruit and flowers. Now, when it rained, it would rattle on the roof, gush in the gutter, patter on the path, never come inside. That night, Tom and Mary went, went to bed together. <laughs> she gave him more than cakes, I can tell you. <laughs> and they would sit in the evening in their garden and they would think, you know what? We don't have much, but we know how to move a mountain. And so it was. Today's fairy tale sponsor is Fox's Grape Jams, the Fox family motto. If you can't reach them, grow them yourself. Fox's Grape Jams are perfect for your next PB&J, jelly-filled donut, or morning toast. Fox's Grape Jams. Whether you prefer them sour or sweet, our jellies and jams are always within reach. This episode is also brought to you by the new Patreon supporter, Sarah Burnett. Sarah always shares her bread with old women on the road, can perfectly boil an egg, and is a generous supporter of the arts, which is pretty cool. A big thank you to her and all the other patrons. If you want to hear me make up facts about you, then maybe you should become a supporter too. It would be pretty cool. I felt like I wanted to dash off into the woods. The ancient huntress loomed over me while my mind raced. The white stag was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, and its eyes had been so frightened. I knew that sending her after it would be a terrible thing. Blood on white fur. She tilted her head ever so slightly, and I saw the grip on her bow tighten, as if she were reading my thoughts. I reached into the pocket of my jacket and pulled out a few granola bars. Please, eat and rest. You will find his trail later. No one is happy hunting hungry. She hesitated for a moment, fingers tapping her bow. With the other hand, she grabbed the bars and with only the slightest sound, disappeared into the forest. I sighed in relief and after a few minutes began hiking down the mountain. I may have been hiking hungry, but I was happy. The Second Teller is a new voice to the podcast. Stuart Stotts is an award-winning author, storyteller, and singer. He generally travels across the Midwest of the United States, giving over 200 performances a year. That's quite a bit of storytelling. Stuart plays all the music on his recordings, which beautifully sets the mood for the next story, Orpheus. And while Stuart tells it in the kindest way possible, the Grecians are not known for their happy endings. Just a word of warning for those responsible for those with sensitive ears. This next story may not be one to listen to together.
heavenly. That's the best word I know to describe the music that Orpheus made on his golden lyre. He played so sweetly that he could charm the moon and stars. He could settle the stormy seas as he did for Jason and the Argonauts in their hour of peril. He could fill the sailors' hearts with joy so that they would not hear the sirens who called to them from the cliffs, luring them to wreck and ruin on the rocks below. Down through the ages, there have been many great musicians, David in the courts of Saul, Tristan at King Arthur's Round Table, J.S. Bach, Frank Zappa, Aretha Franklin, but Orpheus dwarfed them all. He was the son of King Oigros, but more importantly, of Calliope, chief among the nine immortal muses who oversaw inspiration, dance, poetry, and music. Orpheus received his beautiful voice from his mother, and then Apollo himself gave Orpheus the golden lyre and taught him to play upon it. There was no music more beautiful anywhere in the world, and Orpheus traveled up and down through the wilds of Greece, praising Apollo and bringing a little bit of heaven to everyone who heard him. Orpheus loved Eurydice, and Eurydice loved Orpheus. They were to be married, but on the day of their wedding, Eurydice was walking through the fields with her maidens, gathering flowers for the ceremony, and a snake rose up, bit her on the ankle. Eurydice died almost immediately there in the field. Orpheus was racked with grief. The songs he played had such sadness that the sky grew dark and the waterfalls froze and the people who heard him were transfixed with sorrow. He wandered throughout Greece playing these sad, sad songs. And then he got an idea. He thought, I will go down to Hades, into the dark world beneath the earth where the departed are, and I will beg to bring Eurydice back. He found the crack in the earth where the river Styx is, played so sweetly that the boatman Charon ferried him across, played so sweetly that the three-headed dog who guarded the gates of Hades, Cerberus, fell asleep, and Orpheus began to descend into the depths of the underworld, playing as he went, and all of the shades of the departed began to follow him. His music evoked their lives, the joy they had known, the power of sunshine, food, love, friendship, the joys of the earth. And when he arrived at the throne of Hades himself, he was surrounded by the crowd of shades. He begged. He pleaded. He said Eurydice had been taken too soon, and he played more so that Hades himself began to shed iron tears. Persephone, his bride, remembered her own days on earth as Orpheus played, and Hades decreed that in fact Orpheus could bring Eurydice back with him to the earth. But there was just one condition. Eurydice would follow him out of the underworld, but he must not speak to her, and he must not look at her as they rose back toward the sunlight. And so Orpheus, playing his harp, began to make his way through the underworld back towards the crack in the earth 
And as he went, he heard Eurydice behind him, calling out to him, Orpheus, Orpheus, please, wait for me. Orpheus, why will you not look at me? Orpheus, Orpheus, it is I, your Eurydice. How can you be so cruel? Orpheus, I love you, I love you. Wait for me, Orpheus. Orpheus did not look. And just as he approached the crack in the earth, she called out to him, Orpheus, take my hand. He turned, and as he did, he saw her disappear into the darkness of the underworld. Charon would not roll him back across the water. Orpheus was condemned from that moment on to live with his sorrow on the earth. And live he did, but still filled with his grief, his music filling the earth with lamentation. For years he traveled throughout Greece. Once he was by a meadow, and a group of maenads, those who worship the god Dionysus, came by. They were filled with revelry and wine and joy. And when Orpheus would not join in their celebration, they ripped him into pieces and threw his head and his lyre into the sea. The muses came. They collected all of the parts of him and buried him there at the base of Mount Olympus, where it said the nightingales sing more sweetly than anywhere else on earth. But Apollo took that golden lyre, threw it up into the air, threw it into the sky, where we can see it now, the constellation of Lyra, a reminder of the heavenly music that Orpheus gave to the world. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show the love. Find Shauna Lee and Stuart Stotts on the internet. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. You can find me and the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Podcast or Rachel Ann Harding. The beautiful brains behind the fairy tale sponsor is Katie Knutson. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was from a story seed by Laura Packer. You can find her lovely story and writing prompts by looking her up on social media. Check out the ads for the fairy tale sponsors and let me know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Maybe you'll hear them here soon. A big thank you to Simon Brooks, who was the guest host last week. He did happen to find someone to wake me up from the enchanted sleep with a bit of cold water and a cup of strong tea. If you would like to become a supporter of the podcast for as little as $4 a month, you can find links on storystorypodcast.com and hear me read your name and thank your beautiful face for the world to hear. If it isn't in the cards to support the podcast right now, no worries. Perhaps you'd be willing to go write a review on iTunes, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the podcast. Head over to the website and join the mailing list for hidden goodies. And if you tune in, you'll hear more stories next week. But until then, live happily ever after. Mary-Kate opened up the door, and there, on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day 
When the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court.